0: So, Dr. Novick, if we can't tell our kids to stay away from troublemakers, then what do we tell
1: them about?
0: Well, it's not that you can't tell your children to stay away from troublemakers. Um, you just have to do it in a mental kind way. So in other words, we're always telling our children, you know, think about your choices, make good decisions. but. I don't know that we'd say, Rona is a terrible person, never play with Rona. We might say, when Rona doesn't follow the rules, what are some of the things that you can do? When she grabs the toys, when she's not polite, what are some of the things you can do? It's not acceptable to say, Rona's a loser. Better that you say to Rona, I only play with people who follow the rules, uh, or things like that. As as children age, it becomes uh, an incredible challenge, and I have had to say to my own adolescent sons, at what point, I asked them to think about this, at what point would somebody's behavior be so terrible or drastic that you would be guilty by association and you could no longer call yourself their friend? This was in their teenage years. You know, at what point, if God forbid, if someone were doing drugs, selling drugs, was involved in, in you know behavior that's illegal, at what point could you no longer hang out with that kid? Because it would just be condoning their actions, or it would make you the same as that person. So I think we, we can tell our children, don't hang out with a troublemaker, but we also can be kind about it and say, well how do you feel, does it ever happen to you that you grab something in a game and then kids won't play with you? So, well, and what would it be helpful that they do? Would it be helpful they tell you? And of course you can't tell three year olds this. One of the things to keep in mind also is that our involvement as adults is directly the inverse to a child's age. So that the younger the child, the more involved we can be as an adult. The more we can say to three year olds, the more we can supervise their play dates. We can literally sit behind them on the carpet and say, Ask her if she wants the truck. You know, we can prompt. When they're twelve, you better not be sitting behind them on the carpet. You know, your your involvement has to drop significantly and they're very much on their own socially. But I think we can do it, you just have to do it with kind of wisdom and kindness. If a child is very shy about the parents embarrassing them,
2: how do you act to role model if, if I told somebody not to pour beer over someone else's head at a baseball game, my son would fall away from me.
0: Well, mine do. But they've, you know, over the years, they've gotten used to it. I um, you know, sometimes you have to you have to pick your battles and um, I, didn't, I wasn't even sure my kids were watching what I was doing, but I was just so appalled that somebody would do that over a leather jacket. But at any rate, um, If if your child is shy, then you may do it in a more private way. Then you might say, you know, come here a minute, I have to just tell you that we don't, you know, what those people are doing, that's not what we would do in our family. You know, you do it quietly, privately on the drive home or someplace else. Certainly, one of our um, major tasks as parents is never to humiliate our children. However, if you had to go through your life as a parent without ever embarrassing your child by your own behavior... (laughs) Uh, it's hopeless because by breathing, you embarrass them once they're teenagers. You know, if not by your hairstyle or what you say or what you wear, Chavez, or you're, you're just an embarrassment because you're old. You know, so it's going to happen that they're embarrassed by you. But you don't want to do it deliberately.
2: Uh, a question for both of you, actually, you both brought up um, ex- uh, examples of things that are good opportunities for Jewish parents to. To um, teach their children, one was at the shopper's table, and you know, what we have our once-a-week opportunity to communicate, and, and, and the other thing was the bring them with us in shul, expose them. These are obviously they're, they're they're important. Even if a parent, a young parent, say young children, they have this this goal that that's great. You run into this issue with um, the community and the old and older kids, parents that. I remember when we first when we first came here, we were thinking our kids are going to sit at the Shabbos table with us every you know every every meal, or you know I'm going to bring a, I'm going to bring my son with me to shul every every Shabbos or whatever. But what happens is the community or the older kids or guests, you know, their kids they learn that kids don't sit at the table or kids don't they go out and play and outside. So how do you fight that? I mean, or, or do you? Look, let me go because
1: <laughs> I left that one caught. And that was the I left that <laughs> 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 You know, This is a real problem. In, in that, in invited company to be with you as well. Too. That's wonderful. You've now taught your children a wonderful mitzvah of Achanas HaSarachim. We just invite focus on mitzvah of Maybe you'll having a Everyone knows Achanas Avraham and Sarah, that's the truth of the matter, even more profound Gemara. Gemara says as follows, in the time when the Beit HaMikdash stood, so the altar was the holy place, achshav she'en beis HaMikdash, now that there is a beis HaMikdash, shulchanu shel adam machapa. a person's table, is the place of the altar. On that, Rashi adds two words. When is my table an altar? When I invite someone else to show So now you're together with other adults and you just join shops. Question is, at what point the, the kids get out? Sometimes happens right, that the adults, mean, the kids finish eating and they run away. That's a bit too early because there's a benefit of children listening to adult conversations as well too. So what? On the other hand, you can't expect them to stay all for time. So what you've got to do is say to yourself, which mirrors do I want to sing so that the children can sing along? And then there may come a time when you say wisely, okay, now if you want to go play the thread. But too many times it becomes a conversation only of the adults, kids sit at the back, finish hitting a runaway too. So you're quite correct. Sometimes the pressures of being a, a, a good neighbor, is, uh, but to me, I think, I speak for myself, one of the great things I enjoyed was listening to my parents and their friends. And I think you can, if you focus the conversation to now start on topics that are of interest to them, at least sing those mirrors that you want them to sing. Then I think and then they can. I can't expect them to sit there the whole time. But certainly make them part of the Shabbos. And, and discussions, as well too. And explain to them why you're talking about these things. Not as to why we're going to play football, but I mean why friends do that? But too many times adults get together, and the kids become sometimes you sit them in the kitchen, which is even worse. Certainly, sit for the and be called back for at the resort. I don't like
0: that. I, I, I just want to add, from a, a child development perspective, that I absolutely 100% agree. Good parents know their children though and know how to bring out the best in them. I I was a parent who brought very young children to shul, but I had a shul bag, and in the shul bag went lift the flap books, find Waldo books, things that I scrolled away, every little thing that came in the special K box, you know, the new toy that was quite good, <laughs> went cheerios. in the shul bag, the Cheerios, whatever, went in the, in the shul bag for only Shabbos so that I had a bag full of stuff to keep you quietly playing at my feet and I could say, look at the same photographer, kiss the tower. You were there with me, but I didn't expect a four-year-old to sit for three hours playing with his tzitzes. <laughs> This is not a sufficient play accoutrement. <laughs> and it's the same as the Shabbos table, that it's okay to have the Shabbos color forms, that while, you know, while the adults are serving in between the courses, this is what you can do while you're waiting for the Dvartara, where you're waiting to say over what you learned in school, and while you're waiting for the, uh, for the songs. It also is okay to tell adults who come to your house this is our minhag. This is in our home. We like all the children by the table. Is that you know all right with you? You know, I know your child maybe used to you know the kitchen and the plastic plates, but we like everyone to be at the same table. We hope it's all right with you. You, you can ask people ahead of time. I just wanted to make a comment of something I remember. We had some educator came a few years ago to the Bein's house when was the Shabbos. My kids were babies then, so I don't know why I was there. But they were talking about, and she said, she was also, she had like a psychology background, and she said what you can expect for each child is to stay one minute per year of age at a child's table. You don't
1: expect much more than that. I should she said it.
0: as they get older, which I thought was actually a low ball kind of estimate. Yeah. But you know what I mean, She's, and she was a The truth is yeah. you can expect one minute per age of boredom. In other words, a three-year-old three. can tolerate about three minutes of boredom before you have real trouble. <laughs> yeah. If it's a really engaging Shabbos table where you're doing you know, Shabbos color forms or, you know, I don't know, you're playing some I spy Shabbos game around the table that engages kids, they, they have really quite amazing capacities.
1: She they never cease to amaze me. She said, one thing I do which is contract to the Aruch as a parent says that even though those people who sit by Kiddush, because in the yeshiva world one sits at Kiddush, because when one sits together, one hour. I better explain this before I get. (laughs) Safe to say, most (laughs) people stand when they make Kiddush. In the yeshiva world, we stood uh, for the for the Yom HaShishi, because that's called bearing testimony in Jewish law. When you bear testimony, you stand. But when we made the bracha from Bar Priya we all sat. Because that way, or, since one person made kiddush for everyone, by them sitting there, they became a group of loyal. So where they sat. When it comes to havdalah, so Shulchan Aruch says that one should stand. Why? Because one is saying goodbye to the Shabbat, and respectfully, one should stand. In our house, we sit for havdalah too. Because I wanted the children to be part of the havdalah ceremony. And after we said havdalah, we sang some Zemirot as well too. And if they're standing on one foot, they don't do it. And to this day, I said... <laughs> <laughs> Last night I met Abdullah. Just with my wife. We still sit and we sing very well too. I say you each one knows their own children. And I can only tell you that as far as inviting children to the house, I meet people, adults now, who say they still remember Shabbat at our table. Because so we included them in this mirot, we included them in the. I should say one thing. One thing you never want to do when you have guests, especially if you're a rabbi, is say, "Okay, now let me if you ask you a few questions that you learned this week in yeshiva." I never do that either. I always say to children, ask me a question for what you learned this week. So you learn this ask me a hard question from Pasha's Yisro. But I never have. I say I have a question to ask you. I always say, ask me a hard one. Once he asks me a hard one, I can ask him an easy one after that's what I'm Well on the topic. <laughs> Please it's one.
2: Uh, I was wondering if you
1: were sure um uh, Mordi, if there are
0: clues,
1: Yes. And how do you feel? That's, I'm, that's the other guy I left out. You're <laughs> fabulous. That's exactly the role of children's group, Shabbos groups. The real issue is, is the purpose of the group a learning experience, as well as a recess experience, too? And at what point can you do something beyond that? So the first question is to get proper youth leaders, and depending on the age as well, too. The real issue is, is there value of children davening with their parents? or well, the daven themselves. themselves. And the other part I want to discuss is to what degree of children, let's say of 6th or 7th and 8th grade, the value of being present during the rabbi sermon. Because this I wish to tell you, every rabbi, some may be more eloquent than others, some may be more learned than others, but every rabbi when he speaks is going to mention a pasuk, a verse, a name, a place, something that adds to the child's learning and understanding. Every rabbi sermon has the rei Torah to a degree. So the question is now, is there value? My personal feeling is that the youth groups have that, if they're really teaching them. But I think there's a point when children, if they're 9, 10, 11, should come up and daven with their parents. I think there is great value of sitting next to your father or your mother and davening. And one of the things they should do is to finish before Musaf, and then the children could then come up and be part of the Muslim service when the shul is most crowded, when there's most of the singing in the davening, and they can participate in the davening. And I say the same thing, I think very strongly, that if the children are 11 or 12 or 13, they should be present at the sermon. T- Tenant seems to be when they're gets to speak, people walk out. It's a terrible lesson for children, because I assure you they will learn things. They're going to hear names or places or events they're not going to help. For. Yes, obviously you have to have youth groups. You can't expect the children to stay in shul the whole time. And there's certainly a value in storytelling and playing games as well too, which are not going to sure. But there comes a time, I think, of the joy of davening with a parent. And certainly if you can daven with a grandparent, I cannot, the Talmud's remarkable. There's two, two versions of the Gemara. One version says, is <laughs> Torah, if you learn Torah with a child, as if you were present at Mount Sinai, was given. And the other version is, if you now teach Torah to your grandchild, and they're both true. So I, I say, I personally think that children should have a with their parents and be part of the regular davening at the end they're both too. only thing
0: I would add, I, I absolutely agree it's most children below the age of nine or ten to ask them to spend three hours in davening. It's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster, most children. But I also think that this is a perfect example of where parents shouldn't think that because something's available, it's correct for your child, and that one of your jobs as a parent is constantly to be evaluating what is right for my child. Um, maybe what's right for your child is you go to groups, but one Shabbos, maybe this allows you as a family to say one Shabbos a month, you have three children, four children, one Shabbos a month, you have special Shabbos with Abba or with Ima or with Grandma or Grandpa, where it's just you where parents is not managing three or four children next to them, but is able to have a wonderful experience. In in my family, we have kanara big boys, and a lot of <coughs> men and shuls, but we've said one Shabbos a month, everyone goes to the same evening. You know, no more, this one's at Shkoma, this one's at eight o'clock, but one Shabbos a month, we want to dive in the same place. As a family, even though I'm on the other side of the mochitsa, I want to see, I, I get, nothing gives me more novice than looking at four novik men. Three of whom I gave birth to. So. <laughs> Four of <number laughs> them on the other side of the machitza, so all davening away. Nothing, and, and seeing them with their father. It's mm-hmm. really a wonderful thing. The other thing I want to say about groups is from the other side, having older children who are themselves group leaders and have been through the process of being group leaders, is that we have to light the Chinuch fire in our children young, early. I love it when the 10 year olds are running Shabbos groups. For the second grade, the, the, the two-year-olds and the four-year-olds, and the reason I love it is, I know I'm now a professional professor well, of and nothing makes me work harder to learn than when I have to teach it over to my graduate students, and it's exactly the same. Those ten-year-olds who have to run Shabbos groups in the morning all of a sudden have to learn practical, because they're going to have to answer the questions about why is Moshe Rabbeinu first called Moshe Rabbeinu this week, and I, I've watched a whole generation of children. In, in our community, grow from being youth leaders to being community leaders to becoming activists to going to YU to to get Snipa to go on into education and community leadership. So I think that it also it's a role, it's a way to pull in the older kids in, in a very positive. Way. I
1: just have an example yesterday yes, in a, a minor, minor, minor matter. We're going down to Shalosh and this young boy was was the fifth. By the way, he's the fifth generation of his family in our Shul. Anyway, and he picked up the cup, and washed his left hand, and I said, him, next time, you wash the right hand first. It was, no, it was no great rabbinic decision, but it was an opportunity, see, because he came to Shalashunas for me to tell him nicely and quietly how to do it. There, there, there's so many opportunities that teachers and rabbis have that we fail to realize, opportunities. To hear something, you know, a young man leads the daveni, and sometimes puts the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> and you now have an opportunity to say we're we, 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 so sometimes looking for big things that we fail to realize the small things to make a correction or to stand next to them when they dominate there's so many things that go into the chinuch of children, you know that as parents so many things you got to do and yet there's certain things that come up so unintentionally that have great bearing as well Yes.
2: In our generation, there've been uh, some of our great that say that one of the makot of our generation is the pampering of our children. Um, and how do you how do you know what's what's over, you know overcaring, over pampering over versus being too much of a disciplinarian? When the trend is that. Particularly in an American environment versus a European-Israeli environment, uh, you know, wha- what's the derech that we should be—that's th-
1: the right way. Before you answer the question professionally, let me answer it. because <laughs> you use the word you "use the word derech." You know, derech is one of the few Hebrew words that's both zakhar and nika'ah, indicate that there must be more than one derech.
0: Okay,
1: so I'll read the on one on one point. So a good one. Um, I mean, this this is the parent struggle,
0: actually, um, and stuff. By the way, you know, when my nineteen-year-old is struggling with, do I come back from errors Israel? Well? I think I've met a girl, but the problem is, but I think I'm in love. You know, on the one hand, my heart breaks. You want everything to be smooth and easy, and on the other hand, you say, from this comes character, and you know, you, you can't always life can not always be exactly what you want and sometimes you have to work for things. Uh, I think we as parents, we have to balance between absolutely keeping our children safe, absolutely giving them the tools so that they can succeed, but not handing them success. We can't do their homework for them. Uh, thank you, I've done biology now, I can't tell you how many times. Three boys, uh, you know, thank God they don't change the math curriculum, it's killing me. Man. But the biology <laughs> keeps on staying the same, they keep on changing the math curriculum in New York State. But the biology curriculum, I've done that already. I've been through, you know, with college biology and graduate school biology, and now I'm doing it with my kids. There's a point where you have to say, listen guys, I'm not taking a test for you. You gotta do it, you gotta learn this. But you have to, we as parents have to provide the support. I think that one of the hard things for us, is kinda of hard, we are, many of us, more prosperous than communities before. We have a lot to offer. It is very easy for parents to say, here, take, go, here, whatever. One of the smartest things I did when my children started high school, they go to a high school where um, it's a, a few blocks from every kosher restaurant you could imagine. Pizza, Flashek, falafel, delis, everything. And I said, here's the scoop. And there's no lunch program in the school. I said, here's the scoop. You can always take lunch from my refrigerator. There will always be food for you to take. I will give you an allowance every week. And when the allowance is gone, you can't go out for lunch anymore. You know, I'm willing to spend ten dollars a week on you going out to lunch. More than that, you take sandwiches from the house. I'm not going to spend more than that. My, I was, I was so proud. My kids come home and they say, you know, you know, Ema, if you go to Traditions of the deli and you get a sandwich, it's eight bucks for a sandwich and a soda. But if you go to Super Soul, the grocery store, and you buy the deli meats and rolls, you know we could get the shopper special. Four guys split it for lunch. It costs us less. <laughs> now, had hey, I given my kids thirty dollars a week.
1: Would they know the value? He sells the soda which his mother gave him. He can make. But but it's not just with money.
0: It's with everything. The only way I think they learn value is when, if you give them everything, then they never have to figure out how to make it work for themselves with less than everything. You know, if you if if you drive them every place, they never have to call anybody else and arrange a ride or. Or figure out how anybody else is getting there. So, in in every area, we have to challenge ourselves to hold back a little bit from being the total, you know, safety net. Absolutely.
1: We want to be there though always. Wait a second, Christian. far as helping children, sir. My rule is always in children. If you can look it up, I will not tell you. I will tell you where to look it up. I'll help. You. But if you can find yourself, I won't tell you. And I'm still reminded of. Especially in the pasuk we're going to learn two weeks from now in Pasishpatim, it has the phrase. If someone now became a adenshid servant, the phrase says Im begapo yavo begapo Now the word begapo is a Hebrew word, but it means it comes by himself. No and I could have told him what it meant, but I said, you know enough Hebrew now. You look in the targum, and the targum on begapo says So that degree that you can look it up yourself, and if you have the patience, the easiest thing is to answer it. I know. It's much more difficult to say. You go look it up. I'll stay with you when you look it up. And here's where to find it. And then it's wonderful. And I say there ain't no one way to do it. Only one way. If the children know that you love them and you're concerned with them, it works.
0: I, just another thing also about you know material things that we give them. If if you give them material things, uh, and they may not be things. They may be the opportunity to visit Eritrea. I mean, I loved it when my. My baby, who's now 14, at the age of, like, 12, was catching that, I've never been to Disney. I said, okay, Israel three times, California twice, most of the eastern seaboard, you've never been to Disney, deprived child. First time I flew, I was in graduate school. You know, what's, I don't understand what the catching is. So, if when you go to Eretz Israel, if when you go on a family vacation, you say, Baruch Hashem, we have the ability to give this to you. Aren't we blessed? There isn't everybody who can do this. This I this is a bracha that I can share with you. God willing, I should always be able to share it. Not everyone has it. Even in that small statement, it makes the trip is totally different. And and we actually have a when we go to Israel, our, our, our shul always has a um you know has an Israel appeal. So we always ask, can we deliver the check to whoever you need? You know whoever the appeal is, the recipient. And we have met remarkable people in Israel. Always one of our days is delivering a wedding gown or, you know, to to the gemak in Israel or delivering a check to the guy who makes Shabbat dinner for 800 people. You know, we go and we get, this is part of the trip to Israel. So that's the evangelism. But it's work. We're supposed to be role models for our kids, obviously. But we live in a world that is not exactly perfect. And when we're... With our kids, you know, we may act a certain way, and when we're not with them, we may act differently. I mean, we, we all know what the right thing to do is, but is it hypocritical to act a certain way, you know, with your kids and not necessarily, you know, to, to be extra careful with the kids as opposed to, you know, you don't exactly do the same thing when you're not with them. That's a very uh, hard and it's a good question. I mean, I I would hope to think that I try to be the best person I can be, whether they're with me or not. But I would also hope that I'm extra careful when they're watching, um, particularly careful. Um, And there are certain areas where I think I can't be any different whether they're with me or not. So in terms of, you know, business dealings, the Torah doesn't say you have to be very knocking on your business dealings if your kids are watching. It, it, that's not okay. And the, the other thing is that once your children grow, you find there's much less and less that they don't know and that they don't see. So if you are a it privately, quietly, and you think they don't know, they, they're going to know. They're going to find out. Um, I
1: should tell you, I remember when, when I became a Chassan, I went to tell my Rosh Hashiva that I was engaged. And He said to me, Just remember, you can fool everybody in the world but your wife and your children.
0: <laughs> so I think that uh, there's a saying in Hebrew, I read look shall see Remember my father told me that it's okay to be hypocritical if you're acting better than you really are. Right? <laughs> and, uh, so in that sense, I mean, being a hypocrite, we, we all should act like that right. sort of hypocrite. So, right, it? so that perfect example is, you know the, you know, the example of the Jewish mother, who, or the Jewish mother-in-law, who gives her daughter-in-law two scarves for Hanukkah, and the daughter-in-law puts on one, and the mother-in-law says, you don't like the other? <laughs> so, so that's the hypo- hypocrisy that, I did when my children were little. I every conica. We have big family conica, grandparents, whatever we have traditions on both sides of the family. So before I would always say to them, You say thank you to everybody's gift, whether it's what you want or whether it's what you don't want, whether it's a good gift or not a gift, you know, be prepared. And I also would say to the two scarves from my mother in law, beautiful, they're the most gorgeous wow. scarves we ever I ever saw. And then they go home in the drawer. You know, that that they don't have to, you know, if I don't like it, that's something I'm going to share privately with my husband or with no one. So there are parts that you don't share, because it's not setting a good example, it's not setting the right goodness. Yeah.
2: I want to do one, one more question, and maybe we'll have a few minutes afterwards after the program. I want to wrap up. If people want to spend a little time, time speaking.
1: To to I, I should tell you, one of the goras that I didn't cite goes along is the Gemara that says, parents should never say to a child, I'll give you something. And then not give it to him, because then you've now taught him how to lie.
0: You um, spoke about communication and you know keeping those lines open. Unfortunately, I've spoken to several parents lately who have older kids who just have no interest. I, um, last night I spoke to a woman who was telling me that her son just hasn't wants nothing to do with you know with them. They said she said. They had a large, you know, they're, they're a relatively large family, and they had everybody was was home for Shabbos and around the table together, and they were up the whole family up until you know 12:30 in the morning talking Friday night, and this one son like eight excused himself and then he wants nothing to do with it. The opportunities are there, but he he answers and grunts and he, he just doesn't want to. And I spoke okay. to several right. parents. It, it, un, unfortunately it happens. It is a huge heartbreak for families mm-hmm. to deal with. In some cases, it is a temporary phase, and uh, one of the one of the most comforting and most scary facts of parenting is, however it is now, there's no guarantee it will be this way tomorrow. It 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 never can be the same. You know, you can't ex- expect that it's always going to be the same. But also, it can I- in situations where it represents a change in a way a child behaved. I do consider, is there a mental health issue here? Is there depression? Is there anxiety? Is there, God forbid, drug abuse? Is there something going on? Not in this particular case, but in general, when a a child kind of absents themselves from their family. That is more likely the case if the absenting is happening socially as well, if the child's withdrawing and doesn't speak to their friends and has nobody to speak to. There are times in children's lives when they need a person other than their parent mm-hmm. to talk to. And if they're talking to a rabbi or a teacher or an older brother or something, that's fine. The, the thing I say to parents, and I've had it at least twice on my slides, is you got to keep trying. You can't, you have to be the initiator. You have to reach out no matter how many grunts you get, no matter how many rejects you get, no matter how many times, which it should happen at least once a week, you're told you're the worst parents in the world, you're so mean, you're unfair. That's like, by the way, Son, you're doing something right. It's not a popularity contest. If kids say, oh, you're the best mommy, I worry a little if that's said too many times. Maybe there's too many cupcakes being given or goodies. Um, I don't mean to be racist, but I, I, mean, I do mean it. You, you know, parenting is not, you don't win points on popularity. You have to do the hard stuff. Um, but you got to keep trying with the communication, and you have to try all different avenues. So you do say, you need a ride back to so-and-so, I'll drive you. And you try talking in the car where it's alone. If that's not good, so you say, let's go out to dinner. If that's, I mean, you just got to keep trying. Um, and it, it is devastating and very difficult. But your job as a parent always is to stay. So how do you know, how do you know when to give up? You know, nothing Never. nothing Never. takes Never. a day. So I mean, right. how do you know, at what point do you say, this isn't working, I should try something else? Or you I know, wish, maybe I should be persistent in right. this. Book, you know, I, you this, know this, is the, this is why parenting is art much more than science. But I always say, you know, my medical talent is a step, though amoxicillin for ten days, yeah. but then they had to come in to be retested to be sure that they cleared out the strep. Yes. And there are some kids, by the way, the amoxicillin didn't work for. Now they need something. You know, they need something else. So yeah. even medicine's not such an exact science. Yeah. But parenting, for sure, is not exact. And when you decide to change, kind of depends on how important the issue is and how much time you put in. When my oldest child, who would leave for school without his shoes, literally, would walk out the front door and say, "Oh." in the snow. I forgot my shoes. Not the most organized child. So for the first probably nine years of his life, every single morning he came down, every single morning I said, you brush your teeth, oopsies, he would go upstairs. Nine years of reminding. I never stopped reminding. Every morning the same routine. After nine years, finally the foot came down on the bottom step and he said before I could say, he said, oopsies, forgot my toothbrushing. And he went up and did. It only took nine years. Had I given up, in three years he'd have cavities. But I kept at it. Why did I keep at the same strategy? It was a very low cost strategy, not a very important behavior, you know, important behavior, but it was working. Mm-hmm. Even though, though I had to remind. In a situation like this, I'm probably not because it's so serious. I'm probably not going to try the same thing for nine years and hope that it's going to work. I'm going to try a strategy for months at a time. And with older kids, you need you need like a really big bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. So you know, you get tickets to the game and you go here and you say let's go for shopping and you try this and you try
1: that and you keep trying things yeah. until you find the ones that work. I think one of the things that rabbis and teachers have to learn when well, the parents do come to us for advice sometimes the issue requires professional training and then you've got to say sorry, you've got to go some less professional competence. In difficult is sometimes the rabbi's got to say I'm very smart and all that but I have no competence in Here you've got to go to the person. There's nothing wrong with saying there's other talents needed and I haven't got any. And this happens many, many times. I
2: just want to uh, first of all thank the University and the Legacy Heritage Fund for making this program happen. Especially want to thank Rabbi Bidman and Dr. Novik for coming out here. We'd love to have you back um, in the future. And I you have to come for longer so we can show you the beauty of Colorado a little bit. <laughs> um, but thank you for what was really a very informative, educational, yeah. and
1: inspiring. You know, and Rabbi Elton, an expression in Yiddish, a gastaf a vile, zetaf a mile. English translation, a guest for a while can even see a mile. And this just been a pleasure to be with you wonderful people.
0: The only thing I want to say, because I'm going to go get on an airplane now. You know how it says on the airplane, if the cabin, God forbid, loses pressure, the oxygen masks come down, take care of the children. Take care of yourself before you put on the children. Take care of yourselves because you are the oxygen for your children. You're really important, so thank you for coming.
1: There's a man
0: you at 1245. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thank you.